78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Wella Foods, Thunderbird Bars, Wendy R. Bookery and Gifts, Corazon Austin Realty, and Viva Chilingua, the Big Bang of Texas Music exhibit at the Whitliff Collections at Texas State University. Transcendentalism is a 19th century American philosophical and literary movement. It celebrated individualism, intuition, and a profound connection with nature. Famous transcendentalists like Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau believed in the innate goodness of people, advocating for self-reliance and encouraging individuals to trust their inner wisdom. They found inspiration in the beauty of the natural world, viewing it as a gateway to higher truths. The movement also challenged societal norms and called for the social reform critiquing established institutions. It's a uniquely American way of thinking in that it's seeking transcendent good while also using criticism to accomplish it. Can we do better than the status quo and strive that in every area? In this episode, we will speak with several artists and musicians about their work and the concept of becoming. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. Richard Platt was one of several people in a group of friends who bought land together near Lockhart about 10 years ago. Several of that group of friends then opened businesses that went on to become beloved staples in Lockhart, Lupin Lil's Pizza, Lockhart Arts and Crafts, and Lodoff Fanny's. Richard grew up and had played music with Chris Hoyt, the co-owner of Lupin Lil's, and Shane Renfo of RF Shannon since he was a kid. He's been working with another artist that has made his mark here in Lockhart, Chaz Emile Bissett, on his debut album. Chaz came to Lockhart to open Sunflower and Friends, a music school and music shop. Chaz has recently been working on a new solo album of his own. So both Richard and Chaz are releasing their records close together. And they came in to the studio to discuss the album and what it's been like living and working in Lockhart. From what I can understand, it's it's several records coming out? Well, yeah. So um, under Sunflower and Friends, a music shop, we had this idea kind of at the cusp of the pandemic of like, it'd be cool to do like a tape label thing. And, you know, Richard was a big inspiration for that. Like, well, you know, we'll record it and then we'll try to put it out and get it so people can hear it. So... Uh, so yeah, so as far as things, just over the last few years that I've recorded, a um, good friend of mine, Mary Palmer, who goes under um, Alternate Universe U, <clears throat> we got to record a pretty cool single that uh, we both produced and uh, played a bunch of instruments on. Um, so that'll be seeing the light of day proper. Um, and uh, it's basically just an unveiling of all these things. Then I've got, it was going to be an EP, but it turned into a full length, and that's my personal music. That's an album called uh, Canary in the Gold Mine. Uh, and then Richard Allen Platt. It was going to be kind of one big thing um, of just the Sunflower and Friends Records and Tapes label release. Yeah. But I was like, well, shoot, like, you know, Richard got asked to play the RF Shannon release show, which is another record I was, I played some instruments on. And I was like, this is it. Everyone can't play this. Like it's going to be a fourteen band bill or something by the time we. Right. So uh, yeah. So I've got mine just a couple days before, um, and then yeah. But it's kind of just a November soup of Lockhart music release. Oh, that's cool. That's fascinating. So it's like all RF Shannon, 
Richard, your your debut mm-hmm. record, and then Chaz, it's a, a new solo record for you as well. Yeah. And Chaz, how how long were you working on some of that stuff? Well, I would say all this particular material, um, it's probably just been yeah, maybe kind of like I don't know what's mid COVID. I don't know, like uh, like a year or so into it, really started working on some of the ideas that made it to this album. There's a lot of stuff going on, so it's a very a lot of new world experiences. So it's a different sounding record. For, you know, the last one had a lot, of, way too many overdubs, and I didn't have the the bandwidth to to try to recreate that live or record it. Also, it's a little more Spartan in its arrangements. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing that too. Everyone's working together for the release show, which is uh, in mid-November. And we'll promote that, let people know where that is. Um, And um, I'm starting to get my thoughts together. I know, Chaz, that you're working with RF Shannon on bass. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, Richard, are you working independently? Or Chaz and you are working live? Is that kind of how it's going? Shane from RF Shannon's playing bass for right. Richard's live band. I'm playing guitar and keys. Okay, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a switch out a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, it's me and um, Jackie O. I need to interject at this point that he's not talking about Jackie Onassis. But for a minute I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool. And then Chaz, um, John. Yeah, John Grana. And Shane. drums. Yeah. So... And then, yeah, we're just starting to, you know, get this album turned into a live version that we're going to, that we can reproduce, you know? Yeah. We're a little bit nervous about trying to do that, you know, just since it's an unorthodox way the record was made and, you know. It it is a weird process to, like, write all these songs and then we recreate all these songs a little bit at a time for this album, right? Yeah. Because um, it went from just me and a guitar to that would sound good with drums. Okay, let's put bass on it. Now it needs, we also need a fiddle and some slide or whatever, you know. Mm. But uh, but now we need to get to a point where we can re- recreate the overall gist of this album live without having 15 people playing different instruments. Yeah, I hear you. Because we packed a lot of stuff onto this album, ultimately, right? Recording was kind of like Navin Johnson from The Jerks, like... I don't need, I don't need that. I don't need to, I need this. Yeah. I need, yeah, this, I this, I need this slide guitar. <laughs> and this mouth harp. Yeah. But yeah. like when we got together to rehearse, we had never played any of that stuff together. And Shane sounded a bit right in on bass and John sounded great on drums. And I was like, this is a, I want to see this band. I was, I was excited at how it went. Everybody who's playing, I mean, it definitely has the same vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's awesome. That's I grew, a, it's a cool. up together, and we've been playing music for a long time. He knows, he knows like my sensibilities and how I how I sing and stuff. And then I've been rec- we've been recording this album for a year and a half. You know, mm-hmm. once a week as a project. So Jazz definitely knows everything about all these songs. So yeah, it kind of took off pretty quick. It was it's been pretty good. And having not really done that before did you find um we've talked about it a little bit but did you find did it change your writing or the way you think about writing at all yeah definitely like um it's definitely making me a better musician you know because i used to you know if you're not playing with a band then who cares about 
when you, you know, timing or <laughs> really anything, you know, it's just sing loud and have a cool little, you know, tell a story, you know, and I just wanted to be like a storytelling songwriter, you know, who would sing loud enough to, you know, get people's attention in a bar full of people, right? But, um, but now, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to write songs again, you know, working on new stuff. And then the, my whole sensibility of songwriting is changing because now I get to see what it's like to have fun and just get people dancing, you know? Like, yeah. It's, it's a whole other concept of songwriting that's awesome. Yeah. That is cool. It's just interesting to hear your perspective on having one way and then seeing the discovery of, of what the studio does and then being around. Because you were in a band before. We talked. You talked a little bit with Chris and yeah, Chris we, Hoyt. Yeah, we used to play in Comanche Club. And can you talk a little bit about what that was? Yeah, it was like um, me and Chris Hoyt, um, Lane, his wife, uh, our friend Devin would play drums, Shane uh, Renfro was on bass, and my wife. And I did backup vocals, right? And I would play harmonica every once in a while. And then it was super fun, kind of like stomping country, you know? Think of like early 2000s, whenever that stuff was just kicking off. Mm-hmm. Stomping so, around. What's that? <laughs> just, that music was just stomping around. Just stomping around, man. But yeah, we were also, we were super young, you yeah. know? And we had just had our first child, Samuel, and then, you know... It was, it was really just to have fun and, you know, we, me and Chris have always, and Shane have always been writing songs since we were growing up. And those two guys are prolific songwriters, you know, so I kind of just wanted to be on that bandwagon. And I was like, I'm not going to be the only one sitting around not writing songs. <laughs> I'm not going to be a loser over here. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, playing the Comanche Club was fun. And then we... Ultimately wanted to leave Austin and then everybody started having kids and growing up and there was never really any, you know, you can't pay for a house with Lone Star drink tickets, you know. No, you can't. Right. Man. So. Oh, man. Or, or any other drink tickets. Right. So Chris just got some old, old Comanche Club stuff that he was trying to put out, but it was super fun and it kind of got me, you know comfortable playing with a band but I've never been like the front person in a band you know yeah I didn't play guitar in Comanche Club I really just we just sang and looked pretty you know (laughs) it's an interesting story and and would you mind to tell it a little bit I don't think I I wasn't aware that that I knew that you and Chris had grown up together I didn't know that you and Shane had grown up together and doing music and stuff but there was a whole movement of you guys it came to Lockhart, and you bought land. You want to talk a little bit about that story? It's a fascinating story. Oh, me and Chris Hoyt and Shane Renfro all grew up together uh, in Grapevine, Texas, right? East Texas, Pine Curtain area. But, um, yeah, we all wound up in Austin, lived in Austin for quite a long time. Then when we were, we were pretty young, and then we just were so poor, <laughs> we wanted to, we felt like we would never own uh, a house or anything. So um, we bought land with uh, Lane Tanner and uh, Sarah and Jessica Rutland, all from Arts and Crafts. Um, So we all kind of headed this way together. All bought, I think there's seven of us, all bought land together. 
you know, back in the day when you could still buy land as a like 22 year old kid, yeah. you know, totally unrealistic nowadays, but, but, um, yeah, we were just wanted to, you know, farm and live off the grid and just <laughs> kind of damn the man kind of a thing, you know, but it costs a lot of money to be, uh, off the grid hippie, you know, so it's a hard lifestyle for sure. Yeah. I think harder than people realize. Right. Um, you know, so everybody's kind of had their go at it. You know, Chris and Lane lived out there for quite a long time, kind of off the grid, cisterning generators and stuff like that. I think me and Miranda made it five months. And then I was like, dude, this sucks. We got to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. But, but it, I mean, it's fun and it's beautiful. We just, uh, we just paid the land off, you know, this year. So that's awesome. So it's, it's fruitful. We still own it. We still, you know, it's still um, a group of us that have it, which is cool. But yeah, that's, that's really what got everything out to Lockhart in the first place. And that started, uh, loop and Lils and, um, arts and crafts yeah. and, uh, fannies, right? And fannies. Yeah. So I all mean, these three businesses that didn't exist happen without a bunch of kids who wanted to own something in their life, you know? Yeah. Right. I guess like, yeah, we wanted to be closer to the land and then the land was in, in between here and Luling, in between Lockhart and Luling. So um wanted to live out to be closer to it. I was like, I can't drive in Austin just to cook every day. Yeah. And then we opened Loop and Lose. And that was eight years ago, I guess. That's a smart idea. It's just a fascinating story because we, it's a part of a lot of everyone's lives that live here now. And um it's great to hear the genesis of it. And now... They paid off the land, opened the businesses, and now you've come back to the studio, to the to music, which is <laughs> now awesome. Now there's free time again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, like my kids are older, and there's it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite. Like, we're, you know, time's just a wheel, man. You know, like, it's back to full circle. Like, you know, there was not enough time to play music, and my kids were super young, and then we opened the business. Now the business is going good, and my, my son's, almost 17. It's wild with y'all having like that dream and coming to Lockhart and making that stuff happen. And now we're at this point, like I've come here and started a business and then your son was working at my music store over the, so I mean, it's just these dreams kind of building on each other and moving around. It's pretty cool and inspiring. It is, it is. And you, you Chaz, you had a similar set situation where you were in Oregon, I think, and you, you, you were like, I gotta, I'm gonna come down here and, and do this shop, right? Yeah, yeah. I was in, <clears throat> I had intended to do a shop. I was in Austin. Okay, I'm sorry. And, I uh, you were, um, but you but, were in Portland at some point, right? Yeah, I okay. had, you know, my uh, mom had passed away and my dad needed some help kind of dealing with that stuff. So I took leave of Texas for a while. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I was in Oregon for a little bit, then needed to get real, my dad was in Washington State. So okay. then I moved up there for a little bit. And I knew I couldn't come back, at, like, to Austin. There'd be all the expense and red tape to try to start a brick-and-mortar business. Like, yeah, I can't you know, imagine. That, that's a tough thing, especially when you're coming from dealing with family stuff. You're not really necessarily squirreling uh, money away for it. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was just... I had I didn't know Richard all, all them until I'd been here for a little bit. It's like Natalie Ribbons from uh, Telenovela. I knew her from Agent Ribbons, Um friend of mine played violin with uh with that band and i recorded and um kind of co-produced a track on one of the agent ribbons albums 
and she had moved out here and started her, her um, vintage shop. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, she had kind of said like, oh, that, you know, you should think about Lockhart. There's, you know, we're here, there's some other musicians here. And so it just made sense. I just really was ready to start, start a music store. Like I'd, in the way that I would like to do a music store. Yeah. Different from all the ones I had worked at. Yeah. And you, you had a background in doing a lot of service work as well as being a musician, you were repairing gear and know how it works and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. The, <clears throat> um, when I was like uh, 14, I got a job working for a guitar builder just under the table. So the only things I've done that haven't been working for like guitar builders or repair, like instrument repair or working in a music store. I moon, moonlighted at Austin Mopeds for a little while and drank, drank beers and smoked cigarettes over open containers of gasoline with those guys for a few weeks. That was cool. But otherwise, it's always been music. You're working with some other people, too, uh, working some with Shane, I think? Yeah, when um, Shane was working on his uh, record that's just about to come out, um, uh, Red Swan in Palmetto, uh, we would get together at my studio and, you know, either as a full band, record the practices and hone a jet, you know. That was like, we used it as like a pre-production thing with Shane, really. Yeah. I think we did a couple overdubs there, actually. There's a couple guitar things and some Wurlitzer we laid down there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just as it's kind of, I've always kept a home studio because I play most of the instruments on my albums just for economy's sake. Um, but uh, it kind of... Just the whole feel of being in Lockhart and doing a music store and wanting to be as community, like just seeing that there was a community to connect with and help kind of cultivate. I thought, well, I've never really opened up the studio to other artists before, um, but this kind of makes sense. So just been working with Richard's given the opportunity to kind of like put it back together after moving across the country a couple of times and then uh, working the kinks out and kind of figure out, okay, here's how we can get some sounds out of this, um, this studio. So working with, with, uh, with Chaz, since it's the first record, you hadn't really worked with somebody in the production role. But, it, it was, it, would it, it, it seems like you have a good thing going when you guys are working together. He doesn't know how good it could have been. <laughs> but he could just be telling me anything, man. You know? <laughs> no, uh, no, I think we just vibe. Well, we're like really close friends anyway. And we share like the same musical tastes. And um, I don't know. It never felt like there was like a, you know, uh, like a difference in opinions almost ever. Right. It's really just, hey, I've got this song. This song would be cool on the album. And then he would learn it and make it good. And then, you know, we'd be like, okay, what are we going to put on this next? Like, maybe a bunch of slide, maybe a Wurlitzer, maybe, you know, whatever. But um, it was it was just really a fun process to be a part of. And Jazz is just such a good musician, man, that, like, it's kind of gross to watch. He's just, I'm like, hey, dude, how about some, like, you know, some ripping guitar solos through here? And he's like, cool, give me, like, He's like, he's like our town prince. Uh, <laughs> dude, very much so. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. The only thing that didn't work was... Uh, yeah, oh, you need to get it, man. Yeah. We, tried to, we tried to do a horn section ourselves, and that didn't yeah. work. I was like, I used to play tenor sax and jazz band. That was like 25 years ago. You definitely lose that stuff if you don't use it. I was like, I used to play clarinet. I can do it too. Uh -huh. So we spent like 30 minutes just... 
honking, honking yeah. that place up. It was pretty bad. So, no horns on this album. No. <laughs> about your new album and we can set up a track and play that as oh well. boy yeah sure um yeah so it's uh it was interesting it <clears throat> i had kind of thought in my head that i would uh like after my last album i recorded that over the period of like moving across the country like i started some of that in austin and then did some of it in portland oregon and then did some of it in my parents old bedroom and gig harbor washington and yeah. some of it in lockhart Finally, that thing got done against a lot of odds. So on this thing, I thought, rather than do it like a grind like that, I'm just going to keep writing in spare time and recording my spare time in between things. 
And that was a weird thing. I thought I was putting out an EP and I was like, wait, I forgot about this song. Started tracking that. Oh yeah, this one too. Yeah. So uh, tracked that one and I was like, well, shoot, this is a full length record. And it's really eclectic. Um, and it seems like every album I put out, it gets a little bit more eclectic. But, uh, and I don't know, it, it, I don't know if it's the right choice, but I think of things like the White Album. Yeah. And there's like weird old jazz songs, and then there's like, you know, Helter Skelter on the same album, you know? Yeah. Orchestral things. Yeah. It's like, none of it makes any sense, but the unifying things, it's those people doing it. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's four of them, and there's only one of me, so I figure that that's a lot of continuity. <laughs> to catch Richard Platt at the Barbecue Fest 78644 Showcase on November 4th, 2 o'clock to 3.30 on the main stage. And you'll be able to catch Chaz Bissett playing with RF Shannon that weekend as well. Austin Music Love is putting out a local music discovery letter. They will send out the new songs that are released daily by local artists in the Central Texas area, including Lockhart. Plus, you can personalize your newsletter by genre. Over 1,500 local artists are signed up to have their music distributed through the newsletter, and there are about 50 new releases per week across all genres. Some of the Lockhart artists included are Augustin Ramirez, 
Melissa Engelman, Telenovela, R.F. Shannon, Richard Watson, and Parker Chapin. Find out more at austinmusiclove.com. Hey folks, Emily here from Wella, a local family-owned business right here in Lockhart, Texas. We make everyday foods you love, like Thunderbird, Superfood, Energy Bars, and our Wella hot cereal, and more, with only clean ingredients and amazing flavors. You can find us at HEB, Central Market, Whole Foods, Good Things on the Lockhart Square, as well as thunderbirdbar.com, wellafoods.com, and Amazon. Allie Jackson is a talented multimedia artist and creative art director. She fuses a diverse range of media and processes in her work. For example, she utilizes painting, textile, sculpture, augmented reality, and experimental film in both digital and physical spaces. Her unique art-forward perspective garnered the attention of big companies like Nike, Snapchat, Sony Pictures, and Paramount. They've all hired her to tell their stories. Most recently... She's had great success with Austin F.C. Jackson's work that won the Major League Soccer's Marketing Team of the Year 2022 award. Her design led the team to record-breaking merchandise and ticket sales in league history. Her work will be featured at Siloed, a tank town art experience. Five grain silos, five art installations, five weekends only. Other artists featured include Essentials Creative, Harvey English, Paloma, Mayorga, Chad Ray, and Amy Schofield. You can check out Siloed Fridays, October 13th, 20th, 27th, and November 3rd, 4 to 11 p.m., Sundays, October 8th, 15th, and 22nd, and 29th at 2 to 9 p.m. The closing reception is November 5th, 2 to 7 p.m. Suggested artist donations are $10 per person. You can do this at HTTPS colon slash slash gofundme slash seven five eight nine one e eight f i got a chance to visit with ali by zoom she talked about um her work and also siloed my name is ali jackson and i am a multimedia artist creative director kind of creative swiss army knife i have a background in obviously making fine art and installations and all that good stuff, um, but also have worked more on the commercial art side from digital to video to print festivals um, and kind of everything in between. So yeah, that's uh, that's my creative life in a nutshell. I was looking at your website too, and it was interesting some of the things you've done developing the multimedia interactive uh, type of thing that with social media. I remember in the 90s, interactivity was kind of the focus for multimedia. And then yeah. it's like it got back to just watching. Right. <laughs> Do you find that to be true? Or, or Yeah, I feel like, you know, we've kind of gotten to this world of like passive viewing, right? And just being on our phones and getting quick tidbits and going on to the next thing and not really being a part of it, being a part of the art, being a part of an advertising experience, you know, anything like that. So I think something I've always loved about creating is, you know, not only making 
stuff for a living, right? But also like finding that interaction with people and finding interesting ways, you know, to, yeah, engage, actively engage with people and not just have somebody like look at my stuff and then kind of, okay, that's it, move on to the next thing. So I think there's something really interesting about that. I think, you know, some of my work is more like that, right? It's hard for everything to have that engagement and, you know, to be fully engaged all the time. But like, yeah, I don't know. I think there's something really fun about making a connection with somebody that's more than just like them looking at it. Okay, cool. And on to the next thing. And something that they can even experience when they're not at a traditional art gallery or something like that, especially with augmented reality, like they could view it an experience at home. And it kind of changes like the context of the art itself and the experience itself and is different and more personalized. So yeah, something I'm super interested in, um, whether consciously or subconsciously, you know, I think it kind of started as like a more of a subconscious thing, but now is like really become a part of my practice and something that I think about proactively when I make stuff. I think it's fascinating, the the augmented reality. I love the concept, and but I've always found it's just this one step of clunkiness. It's like 3D movies. You need this one piece of gear to make the whole thing come to life. And I'm trying, you know, I keep waiting for some sort of technology to happen where augmented reality is more easily interfaced. I don't know what that looks like yet. Uh, As an artist, uh, are you doing a lot of work with that? There was a point where I was doing a lot of it and I was working pretty closely with the people at Snapchat um, because they had just kind of like rolled out this creators platform and, you know, had all these awesome people from around the world kind of join and not to say that it fizzled out because I think it's very much still a very vibrant community and something that's still really relevant on Snapchat. But it's one of those things like, I'm one of those people that like gets bored with one medium, which you can probably see looking at my body of work. Not necessarily that I got bored with it, but I was just like doing it a lot. So I started working in different types of mediums. It's definitely something I have a show right now in Grand Rapids for Art Prize, and I brought it back into that show. And so, yeah, it's definitely something that I kind of weave in and out of my work, but more just in terms of like, I was getting a little bored and wanted to like try some new things, but now it's in my toolkit of like cool stuff that I can do and things that I can mix. I was like super heavy into it. And now, and I was doing stuff for brands and, you know, some work for like Nike and Sony pictures and like a bunch of different like big brands. And then, yeah, just kind of like, was like, okay, on to the next thing. So yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. Well, let's talk a little bit about the installation at Tank Town. You're working with, with, with the art house, right? Yeah. Chad at art house reached out. Trying to remember the first time I met Chad. I think we were doing something for Esauson Studio Tour and we were like stationed at the same place. And yeah, we both had like a similar background and kind of like just clicked with our art. You know, we both had worked in advertising before and knew some mutual people. And yeah, he hit me up for this and I was super excited. Yeah, it's it's a cool space. And um, Tank Town is it's where and it's called Siloed. And it seems here that you've got five different installations for four, one per silo, five silos. So tell me a little bit about it. So my process is kind of weird, right? It's like very all over the place. I usually throw a bunch of ideas at the wall and just kind of see what sticks. So, 
you know, this one, I was really inspired by the idea of being in this like giant metal tall tube that is kind of dark and the sound in there when you like yell or talk or whatever, it has this like really intense like echo. So that was kind of like my jumping off point. And then an idea I'd been kind of floating around with for a while. And actually um, my partner, Oren, who's also an artist, well, he had the idea of like going and photographing all these like wacky, wavy, inflatable tube people. And it's just something always we've always like noticed. He also works in advertising and design too. So I think with both of our advertising backgrounds, it was always just like this funny thing that like, it get, it really does get your attention. You know, it's like those billboards, like does advertising work? Just did. Um, and they're kind of silly and ridiculous. So the thought of like this giant tank, this giant tube, it's like this experience that it's kind of dark and moody and has interesting soundscape. Like what if I put one of those two people in the silo, put some music on a loop and kind of like created this like solo dance party with a wacky wavy inflatable two person. Um, And so that was, yeah, kind of like my random jumping off point. And, you know, what I've kind of been working on is customizing the two persons. So I'm kind of painting into it, screen printing, different things and kind of like making it my own little creature. I'm still kind of playing around with like what music is going to be playing with it, but you know, it'll be some sort of like dance track kind of on a loop. And then, you know, once I'm in there, I think I'll be inspired to like make some sort of interesting lighting setup. So yeah, that's kind of like my jumping off point and like what, what my plan is for the space. That's great. And so each, each silo is a different installation and are they different in theme? I'm sure they are. You know, what's really cool about it is that each tank um, or silo has like a different group of people who all have very different styles. So what's really interesting is that we're all kind of starting with this, like, they're all very similar. Like each one has is a little bit different inside, but we're all kind of starting with a very similar blank slate and bringing our own kind of version into it. So I think what's going to be really cool as a viewer is just being able to go in and experience all of these very different things in each one of these silos. And you don't you don't always get to see that, like with with installations and things like that, how people really bring their creativity to like a similar space and how, you know, different it can be um, and how people's brains kind of like take that and like turn it into something. So yeah, I'm really excited. Like, of course, my own work to be in there, but just to experience all these other artists whose work is incredible and see how they kind of interpret the space. It's exciting. Yeah. Cause I've been wanting to see the silos used in that way for a while, just because they're so, they're interesting reverb chambers. They're interesting, yeah. you know, the, this, the shape of them. You do all kinds of great stuff. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the show. As a creative person going in there and just like the audio, the like audio part of it is like, whoa, you're like stepping into this kind of like different world almost. And you can kind of feel it because it's metal. Mm -hmm. You can like feel the air around you, which is like really cool. Like it just has this like really interesting thing. I was joking with Chad, like maybe all my installation will be, I'll just live in there. But then I was like, oh no, Texas metal heat 
you know, maybe not a good no, idea. No. You got to have an insulator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think Ian, the guy who owns it, Ian Stowe and his wife, Ian's an architect. And so he's been talking about building something in there that would be like a space to live in. It was climate That's control. So cool. But we'll see what happens right now. I'm looking. I mean, this is going to be cool to see some installations in there. Yeah, it's such a cool little area too. Like how they built out across the street with the little pool and stuff like yeah. that. I live in Bastrop, so it's really cool to see like like different small towns take these like really interesting places and like make them into like cool new ex- inspiring places. You know, of like something that's used to house grain. Yeah, <laughs> and no, it's, some it's, still do in the back. So. It is. It's really cool to see and make yeah. it a public space instead of just a sort of forgotten space. Yep. Seeing the installation is going to bring that to the other side of the street. So we're looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm excited. So the phone rings. The day with the White House. And I'm like, oh, crap. Big Jim wants money. And I'm like, okay, Jim, what's up? And he goes, excuse me? It was a lady. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I thought you were a friend that was calling from the White House. And he says, excuse me, but are you David Torres? David A. Torres? I said, yes, ma'am. All right, we're calling to verify the value of the president's hat to put in the archives, and we need to verify. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I told her the price and everything. And she goes, okay. And then she goes, excuse me, but you said, Jim, and I need to make sure there's nothing left unturned on this conversation. You thought I was Big Jim, what does that mean? And she goes, is there something I need to know of? Because this is a president. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, street lingo, friends of ours call the White House. It really means the penitentiary. And she goes, so you're saying street lingo out there is called the White House really means sometimes the penitentiary. And I said, yeah, because the building's painted white. And she goes, well, okay, well, I just needed to verify and clear the air because the whole group family of Texas Hatters has security clearance and y'all have all been checked out. Come on down to Texas Hatters where we top the best. Kevin Daniel Humphreys, a local musician and teacher and an artist who's been on the show before, came to the studio to talk to us about bringing The Last Waltz back to the stage here in Lockhart this November. And uh, we talked a little bit about his vision with his new production company called Syntex Productions and what he has planned, and so he came in to visit with us about it. Thanks for coming and talking to us about The Last Waltz, which is um, how we met, actually. Is yeah. a playing on that gig a couple of years ago. Was it before COVID? Uh, no, actually, it was kind of right after the dust was settling because I made my kind of uh, move to say, I guess, into Lockhart around October 21, teaching at Sunflower and Friends. I live a bit outside of town in no man's land. But I discovered Lockhart in, in 2021, kind of as the world was coming back to. And... Uh, and discovered Sunflower and Friends and started uh, teaching music there in October 21, and I'm still doing that today. Let's talk about your vision for redoing The Last Waltz and bringing it to a new venue and kind of your your vision for it. 
So we had a really great last waltz in 2021 when you and I met Stephen, like you were saying, and um, and that was done at the Gaslight Baker Theater by Rachel Rhodes Presents, and they had this vision of doing it there with the wonderful backdrop that echoed the original last waltz, and the the set was slim enough that we're able to. But as the Gaslight Baker continues to do amazing productions. Um, each season, their sets are growing and we couldn't fit there. So I kind of had the idea of moving venues, went to Rach and Will, and we kind of worked it out that I could go and look for a venue and uh, found Luna Gardens, uh, reached out to them and kind of started the planning uh, with Don and Tony, who are the amazing owners of that space. They've done some free events there and um, have been kind of growing the space, a stage, a green room, um, actual real bathrooms, a, a kind of graded flat area that could be set up for dining at like tented events and sound all the way around the property in the pond. It's really amazing. And so I uh, started up Syntex Productions and parted, partnered with uh, Don at Luna Gardens and we started planning. Like the first one, it's pulling in a lot of Lockhart musicians, right? And then it's also there to help promote Lockhart businesses. Yeah, exactly. So um, I guess since it is a musical event, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of our guests, right? We have a lot of returning guests like um, Haliana, Jen, Miori Hodges, Dustin Welch, um, Tom Piles coming back. We're adding Jackie Obercrom, who's a local. Steve Collins here will be back with us again. Uh, Sarah Barlow, and then we've added a few people kind of from the surrounding Central Texas area like Grant Ewing, um, and we've also added Mandy Roden of Girl Guitar, Michael Milligan, a great blues player out of Austin, and uh, there's a few names I might have forgotten. Let's see if I can get them all. Leary Kelly will be here from Lockhart, and Travis Knight uh, will be back. Samantha out of New Braunfels will be here. Johnny Walker. And we have an amazing house band this year that is basically David Beck's band. Um, he's playing bass and his drummer, Dee Stribling, and one of his keyboard players, Peter Huisman, along with guest keyboardist Dan Holmes and myself, Kevin Daniel, will be on guitar. When we did the show uh, in 21, it, we just did the music and it was a great night, but you're adding a whole meal to it kind of like the 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 i don't know if some people know that when the band did the last waltz the concert they were making the movie but it was their last concert and they served the whole Fillmore thanksgiving dinner and so you're kind of doing that i think right yes they served five thousand people that is a bit more than we're ready to do but we are going to do a 200 person dinner before which will be attended by the artists and uh, the artists will each get a guest as well. And we're bringing in Roaming Fire through uh, Mill Scale Metalworks. Um, Roaming Fire is going to cook over an open fire for everyone. And Sus Amigas Production Agency is going to be showing local music videos from the artists and whatnot, um, as well as some other visual arts and things. It's going to be really a nice celebration of just kind of Lockhart art and businesses. Um, Best Little Wine and Books is going to be helping out with drinks. And we've also got Millscale Metalworks and Deep Eddie Vodka sponsoring. And a lot of local partners that have helped us out. You know, Luna Gardens is really giving us a, a generous first go at the, at the venue to let us be the first ones to do a ticketed event there. Plum Creek Records has helped with graphics and design. Meshed Up Productions is gonna be providing a really great sound experience. Um, 
and we're looking to partner with any more local Lockhart businesses. We really just want to get more names out there and drive as much of the kind of audience that we have for local business, local restaurants and bars and shops and local music uh, kind of to one place and really kind of up the game so that uh, everyone kind of feels seen and included that wants to be. Tribute to the Last Waltz is coming back to Lockhart, Texas on Sunday, November 26th. The show will be held at Luna Gardens and will start with a chef-prepared VIP dinner by Roaming Fire. Come and enjoy an amazing meal prepared over an open fire with the artists and a showing of local music videos by Susamigas Production Agency as well as a front row seat to the concert. Dinner seats are limited, and sales close November 10th. There are also general admission tickets available now at a discount. This amazing event is brought to you by Deep Eddy Vodka, Mill Scale Metalworks and Meshed Up Productions. Visit Last Waltz, show for tickets and more info. Hi, I don't know if you're aware that we're throwing a celebration of special Ness. It's also a celebration of tasty Ness. Diva! In 1986, David Byrne made a movie about a bunch of people living in Virgil, Texas. The band Talking Heads even made a whole album about it. Diva! In the movie, they have a celebration of special Ness. I thought it would be cool to have our own celebration of specialness, except this one's kind of real. It's a celebration of what makes Lockhart special in the first place. Smoky meats. They're going to have a variety show about meat? How do you do that? But in recent years, we've got something else that makes us special. Like musicians. Like Mitch. Hey, him. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Steve. So we were fortunate enough to partner with Texas Monthly to kick off Barbecue Fest. So what started as a celebration of specialness became a celebration of tastiness. Happiness is an attribute or a quality. Messiness is an attribute, but it's a description of a state. Lockhart has all kinds of characters that live in it. A lot of them we feature on the podcast that we run. Some of them are real and some of them aren't. I knew traffic. That you're up there in a helicopter looking down, knowing, knowing where everybody's going. I ain't gonna lie either, you know. I'm, I made a little money on the side doing a little PI work. I mean, we all know I've got a little bit of ADHD. It's just a little touch. Come in here, you guys. See some things in here. Oh, God. Oh, Mr. Chickpea. This vase, it has a terrific story. Let me just show you. know, I really resent the hell out of the fact that people use the word chicken to mean afraid. Let me tell you what, you crawl into a chicken coop with a horny rooster and see who runs for the door. In addition to the characters you've just seen, we're also gonna feature several songwriters and musicians from the podcast. And it's all happening live, November 3rd, as a part of what we like to call The Smoky Hole Compadre. I pray.
And it's that time for the eye in the sky. Hey, Steven, what's going on? That's right, Billy Elvis here. Your eye in the sky. I gotta be honest. Well, Phil over here driving this thing, it says, kind of seems more like a riot in the sky, if you know what I mean. Hey, um, looking out over here, anything was, you gotta go past Snap Fitness today. Absolutely wouldn't do it. Uh, wouldn't uh, even bring in uh, maybe the Dairy Queen. Looks like there's gonna be a lot of action over since they've moved that new Grandies down there over by the old mall. Also, flying over by the old mall right now, like I said earlier, uh, looks like Hot Topic is probably having a big sale. And uh, I think Mervin's is doing a clearance. So, for Monday, it's pretty packed back there as well. So, uh, if you have any children who might have school activities later at uh, the high school uh, that's over by the old mall, I would definitely maybe talk, see if they might reschedule anything like that. Because it's just, it's just, I would say there's probably at least a two minute wait. Traffic's just, hectic as it can get right here right now um also love to take our sponsor poco loco and uh love being your eye in the sky up here uh when phil's not in on the rye you know what i mean all right uh back to you steven thanks so much billy we sure do appreciate it i'm sorry that bobby couldn't make it but i think he's gonna make it next time anyway it is time for seven eight six four four news Saturday, October 14th, Lockhart Arts and Crafts, stand-up comedy by Prickly Pear Pro Arelli, Isaac Norman, Patrick Christopher, and Jack Neal. It's 8 to 10 p.m. Duets will have their opening party with the homily, Nick Garza's Get Along, Electric Gold, Evan Charles, and White Dog at 11.30 p.m. Old Powell will have the Dustin Welsh residency, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Gaslight Baker Theater will be having Frankenstein at 8 p.m. Martindale River Cafe, Fairbanks and the Lonesome Light, 8 to 10 p.m. Lodoff Fanny's will have Jenny and the Jets at 7.30 p.m. Sunday, October 15th, the Lockhart Art House, Siloed, a Tank Town Art Experience, will be from 2 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have Sunday Blues Matinee with W.C. Clark, that's 3 to 5 p.m. Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have Paint Along, Friendly Ghost at 5 p.m. The Gaslight Baker Theater will be having Frankenstein showing there. And that's the play, not the movie. That's at 2 p.m. Lodoff Fannies will have Ethan Ford and guests. That's 1 to 3 p.m. Tuesday, October 17th, Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have Lady Lamb. That's 8 to 10 p.m. Wednesday, October 18th, Best Little Wine will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner, 6.30 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have Stony Gable, 7 to 9 p.m. Thursday, October 19th, El Ray will have karaoke starting at 8 p.m. The Pearl will have Open Mic hosted by the Michael James Trio. Sign up begins at 6.30 p.m. Open Mic from 7 to 9 p.m. Old Pal will have Brock Maccarelli from 7 to 9 p.m. Lodoff Fannies will have Costume Karaoke from 6 to 10 p.m. Friday, October 20th, the Gaslight Baker Theater will be presenting Frankenstein, the play. It's 8 p.m. Martindale River Cafe will have Dylan Bishop from 8 to 10 p.m. Lockhart Arts and Craft will have Mags Baker and the Texas Queer Band from 8 to 10 p.m. Lockhart Art House will have Siloed, a Tank Town art experience from 4 to 11 p.m. The Pearl will have Gone to Texas, Peggy Stern and the Russell Brothers from 8 to 10 p.m. Old Powell will have Emily Herring and the FM Band. That's 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Saturday, October 21st, 
Gaslight Baker Theater will be showing Frankenstein, the play. That's at 8 p.m. Martindale River Cafe will have Sam Lewis to 8 to 10 p.m. Old Pal will have Rebecca Paytech, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Duets will have David Ramirez with Garrett Owens at 6.30 p.m. Sunday, October 22nd, Gaslight Baker Theater will have a matinee of the Frankenstein play from 2 p.m. Blackheart Art House will have siloed a Tanktown Art Experience 2 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have Sunday Blues Matinee with W.C. Clark from 3 to 5 p.m. Wednesday, October 25th, The Best Little Wine will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner. The Pearl will have Tris Lancaster from 7 to 9 p.m. Duets will have Kevin Russell's Shiny Ribs with David Beck. That's at 6.30 p.m. Thursday, October 26th, Lockhart Arts and Craft will have Clean Girl and the Dirty Dishes from 8 to 10 p.m. El Ray will have karaoke starting at 8 p.m. Old Pal will have Paul Finley from 7 to 9 p.m. Friday, October 27th, Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have open mic from 8 to 10 p.m. Lockhart Art House will have siloed, a tank town art experience from 4 to 11 p.m. Gaslight Baker Theater will be having Frankenstein the play at 8 p.m. The Pearl will have Mark Anthony Cruz with guests 8 to 10 p.m. Old Pal will have Jamie Kruger, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Duets will have Vampire Ball featuring Vegan Leather and Brian Quiet at 6.30 p.m. Load Off Fannies will have two bins and a bear, 7 to 9 p.m. Martindale River Cafe will have its Fall Festival, 8 to 10 p.m. Saturday, October 28th, Lockhart Arts and Craft will have Mark William Borg and the Shufflehawks, 8 to 10 p.m. Duets will have Robert Ellis from 6.30 p.m. Gaslight Baker Theater will be showing its Frankenstein play, 2 p.m. matinee and an 8 p.m. showing. Old Pal will have Tiger Alley, 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Sunday, October 29th, Lockhart Art House will have Silo to Tanktown Art Experience. That's 2 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have Sunday Blues Matinee with W.C. Clark, 3 to 5 p.m. Old Pal will have Graham Wilkinson Presents Brunch. That's 12 to 2 p.m. And Tuesday, October 31st, it's Happy Halloween. Old Pal will have Johnny Walker Field Trip Halloween Karaoke and a Costume Contest. That's from 7 to 10 p.m. And that's it for 1964. He's now living in Lockhart, and he came by the studio to visit with us. I've been classical trained since when I was a kid, when I was four, four and a half. Uh, but the first music that I started playing live was Boogie Woogie and Blues. Okay. So the, the blues stuff has been kind of my intro to live music. And I played a lot of you know, rockabilly through the years and a, a lot of blues. When I moved here, I had the opportunity to, you know, uh, play a little bit more of soul and rhythm and blues. And... Uh, Play with different bands. Uh, what instrument are you playing? I play piano. Okay. With all of them, piano and you know some some organ, of course, and, and the yeah. recorder, and especially, 
Yeah, and uh, so I played with, uh, I remember that there was a Jay Milano, she was a single artist, okay. and uh, we played all the rhythm and blues with her. Uh, we played ACL a few times and did some some bigger, you know, some official sh- showcase. Um, but the band that I was playing the longest for, with is uh, here in, in Austin, is uh, it's called the Soul Supporters. Six piece, there are two lead vocalists, and uh, we've doing, been doing originals and we've been doing all covers, and uh, we've been playing very heavily about started about maybe seven or eight years ago uh, at one point we were having about maybe four residencies a week plus other shows so we were playing four or five times a week yeah uh, we never toured uh, that's the one of the lucky things about Austin people come to Austin to see live music so there's not a strict you know necessity to tour around uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of you know my my exposure that I had to the the soul side, and then through them I got other gigs. I you know sometimes I'm a hard gun. Whoever needs you know a keyboard, they 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 call me. Right. So yeah, that's that's what I did. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how many musicians have moved out to Lockhart before we right. started recording, and how it's become a place for musicians to live, but not not necessarily play all the time. Correct. Yeah, there's a, there's a plenty of musicians that you know had never been seen playing here in Lockhart. And they've been playing all over the world, some of them, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, the first one that came to mind, his name is Dave Biller. It's an incredible guitar player. You know, if you, I think if you look it up on this Cogs, his page of recordings is probably three pages long. You know, he played with everybody. <laughs> I think that, if I don't remember incorrectly, Eric Clapton called him to play at his birthday in Madison Square Garden. So uh, really like a top-notch you know, guitar player, and he lives here in town since probably a couple of years now. Damien Lanes, you know, plays drums. He played actually with uh, John Ortiz, another musician that moved here a couple of years ago. They have this band called Jetejas. They played here, I think. Damien is another one, you know, that played with so many artists, you know, in, in right. his like, career and life. And uh, Emily Gimbel, I don't know if you ever heard of yeah, her. Yeah, no, she's Emily and her Incredible piano. <laughs> piano player. She, I've never seen her playing here. Yeah. I always saw it, saw it in Austin, and she's one of my favorites. So there's a, a good lineup of people that, you know, uh, live here, but need to go to Austin to to play. Luckily, now in in Austin there are a few clubs that on a week uh, weekend they make a good pay, and for some of these musicians make the rent or the mortgage payment. You know the the, the four times they play there during the weekend make the the whole month. Probably are four or five places they pay there well. So there's a lot of competition to play there. You know, and uh, you cannot miss those places pretty much. Uh, so people. Most of the time, goes to this place. They don't even know who's playing. For even tourists, you know, if they come to Austin, they want to go to see some good music. They all go to the Continental Club, to the White Horse, to Broken Spoke from you know good uh, good country. They go to Sea Boys. What are your thoughts on going about educating people that live here in Lockhart to think music minded? Yeah, Lockhart was just sitting here and didn't mm-hmm. have any music five years ago or right. very little, mm-hmm. and I've been here for fifteen. In the four years that I've been here in Locker, I've seen already the change. You know, luckily we have we have venues that can do live music. I've been to other small towns that are living the same problem. I know they're on the outskirts of Austin, and uh, they have a bigger issue than us. They don't have venues. Like in Georgetown, they have probably more money than Lockhart, uh, but they don't have absolutely venues to to play yeah. music. So they have they have to start from you know a little bit behind us. So we have at least you know a few places here that can play music. I start playing at the at the White Horse when they open, for example, and uh, there was no cover at the beginning. They always, you know, took care of the musicians and they always hire quality bands. 
So people start going back there. And I remember one day they start, you know, they, they pay us and the, the end of the night was a lot of money. I said, oh, what happened? Oh, we start paying, charging $5 at the, at the door. And everybody was just paying in and out, no problem. And now, you know, after the pandemic, they had issues with paying the bands. They, they kept open and they kept, you know, playing instead of three bands a week, a, a day, two bands a day, uh, and they raised the price. They put it $10 and everybody's walking in at $10, you know, no issues. Clearly, they have a location just different. You know, they have a, a lot of tourists that are coming to Austin for the live music. It's happening here too. I mean, yeah, the people who come to Austin come down here because they uh, local got on the on the on the map. Is it? Are you thinking it's getting on the map for music and barbecue now? For both, yeah. I mean, the people maybe they're driven here by for from barbecue, right? That's kind of the the, the claim of fame here for sure. For a good reason, but uh, they're seeing that is alive, and there's a lot of more people that I meet, and uh, they're positively surprised by how much alive is this is this place. And there's a lot of people from Austin that are, you know, kind of escaping from the city and then coming down here, and they surprised about you know how much is going on. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy how yeah. much is going on. Some people that you know came came to some of my shows in in, in Austin, so they see maybe two or three bands of a certain quality. And, uh, and and they say, well, I wish we could see that more often in Lockhart as well, right? You know, the big shows that they do on the square, they, they work, you know, they have good quality bands. Uh, and now I think that they started as a, as a project and now they have bands calling them, right? Yeah, and because yeah. they, you know, we're, that's what we're trying to do even with the show is make it mm-hmm. a worthwhile thing yeah, where yeah. musicians can make a little money doing it. All of our subscription money goes to... To the to, to, music, to yeah. a pot that is a lottery for the artists that have been mm-hmm. on the show, yeah, and um and that could help you know if the more the subscribers go up, but it's just getting people to be to think music minded, you know I don't know I've lived out here for fifteen years and it took a while for me to understand that it was actually I could go and do that myself mm-hmm. you know I was so used to driving to Austin, right you now I I'm oh yeah I can do a show here I can go see a show and participate in that mm-hmm. and if you want it to be good. It has to cost a little more than your it, it than, does, than yeah. the you know a bag of chips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there should be a common interest in you know all moving in the same direction, uh, because again, if you have four places on on you know in a small town that do live music, and three of them are free and one charges the cover, the one that charges the cover is not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna happen, right? right? It's gonna have a few people going there, so. I, in my opinion, they should all charge a cover, you know, and you can start small. Yeah, uh, it still helps. You know, if you make people pay five dollars at the door, they still have money to tip. You know, when C Boys first opened, right? So I was playing shows down a few blocks at the Continental Club, and they were charging fifteen, twenty dollars at the door. Nobody was doing anything; they're just walking in. And I was playing with same bands up the the street from the club that just opened, and they were charging seven to ten dollars. And I saw people turning around because they didn't know the club you know the club wasn't famous or whatever so that uh, so that there is something to that too yeah uh, so you know if somebody again that's why i say stick to your gun because if that's the price that you pay for live music that's what you do and again it's a cost and an investment mm-hmm. on it because you know yes they're gonna be turn there's gonna be people turning around especially at the very beginning if everyone's thinking this way mm-hmm then everyone gets used to a healthier music component. Right. And then the venues are packed, mm-hmm. you know? So I, yeah. I do think it's smart. Yeah, and you can have, it can be creative, right? If the charge of the door doesn't work, 
you work out a percentage of the bar or whatever it is. Like, you know, it happens in other places in Austin as well. Yeah. There is a way to, you know, to, to do it. And, yeah. Uh, but the cover, I think, is a good training exercise. It, it is. I mean, that's the one. That, it's easy because you don't know what the percentage mm-hmm. of the bar is. Right. You know, right. Nobody it's knows always, that. yeah, it's, a, it's not a perfect perfect formula, you know. But, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, no, the, the, the charge at the door is, is what it should be, in my opinion. Yeah. It's always not. Uh, like, for example, I, I play with a couple of bands. You know, we had very different than the rest of the world. Like, I think that the, some of the clubs closed for like two or three months and then they reopened. They were doing something very limited, 50% capacity, whatever the law allowed them to do. Uh, but there were also a selection of bands that, you know, they decided for any reason, which is fine. You know, uh, everybody can do, you know, whatever wanted to do. But I, they decided not to play for safety or whatever the, the reason it was. The bands that helped these places stay open, literally, keep the doors open forever, otherwise I would have closed forever. They got an, a, a, some sort of negotiating power now. Like, okay, you know, there, there's some of the clubs that are being very recognized of the, you know, that everybody was risking something, right? Yeah. Uh, we are only, but that's the first time that I've seen music and, 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 and you know, and business owners being on the same side. Yeah. Because they, we were all fighting for the same, we, you know, if, if a club closes, is a club less that you can play. Right. For the future. So we were all kind of, you know, uh, fighting in the same direction. And we were talking about this idea in a local fashion, but mm-hmm. all the venues that we love here that are, have been here for, you know, three or four years now, and mm-hmm. then the ones that are coming, it is a united front. If it we is. can look at it that way between the, the musicians and the venue, we can fight one fight to get to, to work together to fill those venues up for both musicians and the businesses. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, and there's enough people now moving, that they moved here that you can fill those clubs. And I like the fact that, you know, there's a big, big variety of music here. Yeah. It's not just country music. So, you no, know, a there's, lot. A, there's, a, there's music for every year, which is very important, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that. Again, I, I'm actually positive about the future of Locker because I think that there's going to be many, many good things happening. Uh, uh, it's gonna take a lot of effort, you know, and people like you that is helping, kind of, you know, educating uh, the the rest of the folks here. And sometimes I have conversation with friends. Oh, I never thought about it this way, right? Well, see, I mean, it's, yeah, and that's the way it works. You know? It's a good dialogue, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. No, I yeah, and um, it's I like the way that you're thinking about it. I'm hoping we'll see more of this type of conversation among musicians than mm-hmm. like, oh, there's nothing that can be done, or I'm not, I don't think business minded. It is a business, and it is how people make their living. Absolutely. Or there, or there, there's no music. I told you earlier, we're gonna have some ideas of trying to help yeah. the community promoting this kind of mentality and help both sides, you know, business owners and musicians, and hopefully we'll be able to accomplish something in the future.
4 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Well of Foods, Thunderbird Bars, Wendy R. Books and Gifts, Corazon Austin Realty, and Viva Tolingua, the Big Bang of Texas Music Exhibit at the Whitliffe Collections at Texas State University. Our in-kind sponsors are Printing Solutions, Williams Island, Courthouse Nights, The Rock House Airbnb, Birdie House Airbnb, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. Our show is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound in Lockhart, Texas, edited by myself, Stephen Collins, and Danny Manning. Social media is managed by Crystal Glaze. Thank you to our contributor, Will Rhodes, for Eye on the Sky. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else where podcasts are streamed. Thanks for listening. (laughs) ¶¶